Welcome to Up Next. I'm Gabrielle Boucher, millennial author and entrepreneur. Each week, I bring to you next generation leaders and millennial game changers to inspire you to change your world. Let's see what's next. Hey again, Up Next community, it's Gabrielle. And this week, we have another incredible guest. I know every single week we're bringing them to you and I continue to outdo ourselves. The team here continues to bring in some amazing people to share their heart and to give some really profound perspectives on being young and being in America. This week, we are talking to Autumn Leva, who is the public policy director for the Family Policy Alliance, formerly Citizen Link. And they're doing incredible work to protect not only the unborn, but to protect the fabric and the foundation of America. And I'm so stoked to talk to Autumn. I just found out she's a fellow Regent alum. We both went to Regent University. I did my master's there and she finished up law school there, which is pretty cool. So we had tons to talk about and I'm very excited to have her on the show. So Autumn, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. So your experience is really in advocating on behalf of not only social issues, but what I I refer to as, as the true social justice. I think so oftentimes as millennials, we're told to believe in social justice and, and social justice is usually, you know, make sure everything is fair, but fair is a, is a situation rather than, than a principle. True justice is, is a principle and it's something that we know is so much bigger than, than a policy or even a law. It's something that's handed down by God as well. But you fight every single day for policies in America to make sure that you're protecting the true foundation of who we are as a country and, and ultimately ultimately who we are as, as God created beings. But I'd love to hear your story about how you fell into this work. It's not something that uh, you're necessarily born with. I think it's something that you're called to and, and it's a struggle and it's an exciting struggle, but it's something that you're doing each and every day. So how did you end up doing this incredible work? Yeah, thank you. Well, that's, that's exactly right. I think you phrased it exactly right. It's really a, a calling. Um, I think each of us has a calling in our lives and mine came as I was finishing up my college degree and I thought I was going to be an elementary school teacher. My undergrad is in elementary ed. And towards the end of my junior year, I really felt the Lord calling me to something else. So um, I just sort of showed up and took the, the law school exam. It's called the LSAT. And thankfully, I guess I didn't realize how much high pressure that test was. So I just kind of showed up and took it and thankfully did did well enough. Um, and so I thought it was a lot of fun. Everybody else there, you know, they actually knew how important the test was. So they had um, studied really hard and prepped and were, I think, a little bit more stressed about it. And I probably should have been. But um, God is good. and That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, the LSAT is not an easy test. I'm like, I think I'll take the LSAT today. It's like people spend months studying, but, right. you know, go Which, ahead. I wouldn't recommend doing what I did. Um, they obviously in the elementary ed program, they don't really prep you for the pre-law exam. So um, I wouldn't recommend that. I would actually recommend studying. But again, God is good and did well and was able to get into Regent and graduated from their law school in 2010. And the whole time I was there, I knew that I wasn't called to, to, to traditional practice of law. I really had a heart for public policy and 
making a difference in the in the public square and in what I really like to call the mission field of politics and government, because I think we really have to view it that way. Um, it's just another area of our, our mission work as we're called to be salt and light in our culture and our world. Um, and so I studied specifically constitutional law and legislation. And then from Regent went to work for a congressman on Capitol Hill for a while and then um, had the opportunity to join our movement with Family Policy Alliance. I worked for one of our 40 state-based organizations in Minnesota for a while and then came here to um, our, our national level, which we call strategic support. So we're supporting the public policy work of all of our state organizations on the ground. I think it's easy for all of us to look back in our life and say, you know, it it all worked out, right? But in the middle of it, it doesn't feel like it's working out. Uh, I'm sure that you had those moments when you were thinking, you know, okay, I went to school to become an elementary school teacher. Now I'm going to study law. I mean, that's that's a fairly large gap um, and a big jump. Did you have questions about your purpose and what you were doing or did your family? I mean, what was what was your mindset like going through that really large change? <laughs> yeah, I think we all have moments like that where we're questioning what, what God's doing in our lives and what he's calling us to, because of course we don't often get to see the big picture. We All we can do is trust and believe and know that he's got a plan for us and that it's good. Um, and so I, I really relied on that. But there were certainly times, especially when, you know, you're in the middle of studying for law school exams or studying for the big one at the end, the bar exam. And you think, oh, Lord, have you called me here for me to just fail this test completely and, you know, ruin my career and all of those types of things? Um, and especially in the work of, of public policy and advocating for these things in the ministry of, of politics and government, because it's not... It's not easy, and there's failures all the time. It's incredibly difficult to um, advance a piece of legislation or policy that you want to advance, and it can be incredibly difficult to stop something. And in our movement, we've we've seen some pretty pretty bad setbacks for us with um, working so hard to try to advocate for marriage between a man and a woman and seeing those laws um, fail when the court decision came down in 2013 and just being so discouraged, but knowing that ultimately God is going to use this for his good. He's still on the throne and his plans and purposes are still good and, and he's sovereign and there's comfort in that. I think that's probably the healthiest approach that you can going into something like politics where it's such an up and down game where, you know, it's so emotional when you know that you're fighting for what's good and what's right. And yet oftentimes it seems like you're just kicking against a cement wall when, when it gets really, really difficult. And that's what I think your work is so important. And I don't think many people, especially in our generation, realize that there are advocates out there making sure that their voices are being heard. Particularly in your early 20s, you're not thinking, well, yeah, it's really important that we're you know, making sure that uh, people are protected in the same gender bathroom that they're supposed to be in, right? Uh, I think that's a perfect example of how the narrative's really been switched. And it's been more of a conversation about fairness than it has uh, about safety and security, which you know, is is really one of the biggest concerns I think that parents have regarding uh, the bathroom issue and the legislation that's been been pushed through. In that same vein, I mean, I think your perspective, what you said is this is a mission field, is 
a really beautiful way of looking at it. And uh, working in ministry myself, I've, I've seen it where some people have said, oh, you know, well, it's so good that you're doing that over there, right? Like you're good for you, bless you, Autumn. Like you're just like, you're just great, you know, like keep keep going. And um, But the reality is that every day you're having to really put in this mindset that it is your mission field. So what is that like? What kind of work are you doing as the public policy director and what kind of wins, even the small ones, have you seen and experienced? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think especially as, um, you know, we work on, on policies as well as uh, equipping and helping elect statesmen who reflect our values, who reflect um, godly leadership and really building them up, encouraging them. Um, because again, politics is is difficult. It's a lot of up and downs. And we really know we have to be grounded in um, the gospel, grounded in our calling and what um, Jesus has called each of us to do. Um, and so trying to equip the men and women that we elect has really been something, or that we help elect, has really been something that's been a blessing for all of us. Um, I think when we see we see someone win, if it's at the state level, in the state state representative, state center, or senator, or federal level with a federal U.S. representative, U.S. senator, um, seeing someone who wins, who really is, has a heart for people, who has a heart for servant leadership, uh, has been a blessing for us and really encourages us in the work that we do. And it's it's fun to watch them grow in their career too and to learn how to handle the media, to handle the personal attacks, to handle all of those things and just really stay grounded in their relationship with Christ and what they're called to do, their, their mission that they're called to um, and build them up along the way. So that's a lot of fun for us. Um, on the other hand, on the, the issues side, as opposed to the candidate side, We've really seen some progress with the issue that you mentioned, the, some of the transgender movement that's going on right now. We launched a project called Ask Me First, for example, and we have a website. It's askmefirstplease.com, and we really talk about the safety and privacy aspect of this and bring out women's stories and why this matters to them, why this matters to moms, why this matters to high school track athletes who are forced to share uh, bathrooms and locker rooms with the opposite sex or compete against members of the opposite sex and how how that all ties together and why it's important. And so seeing that project take off and seeing women share their stories and we've produced a few videos to help them tell their stories, that's been a lot of fun. And even just recently, um, a court decision came down where they declared that the Obama administration's uh, Title IX bathroom mandate saying that schools had to allow um, members of the opposite sex in the bathrooms and, and locker rooms as long as they identify as as the opposite sex of what they are. Uh, the court said that the Obama administration couldn't enforce that mandate anywhere. Um, so that was a huge encouragement to us as we kind of work on the policy side to advance good policy and policy that will protect women and children's privacy and safety. So how are you communicating these types of issues to a generation, the millennial generation, who's been taught that everything should be fair and that social justice is the the only way to go uh, and um, really fighting uh, for a message that they believe is correct, uh, but may actually be very detrimental to their own safety. How, how do you communicate that? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's two parts to that. And I think the first is that um, 
the conservative side, uh, you could say sometimes the Republican side, um, has always kind of been portrayed as just no, you know, we're going to say no to this, no to this. And there's a lot of rules and boundaries. Uh, but I think that the, the disconnect and the problem has been, especially for millennials, that no one has been telling us why it matters. Why are we saying no to this? And what is the yes? You know, if we're going to say no, it's not right for uh, men to be allowed in women's bathrooms, locker rooms, showers, and on women's athletic teams. Well, the reason being is because safety matters and privacy matters and because it's not fair to have men competing against women in, in their athletics. That's why we had Title IX. That's why we put in some of these the women's rights movement in the first place. Uh, so we have to be able to intelligently explain that on all of our issues. Um, and then I think the, the second part is we've kind of disconnected the, the rules and the no on the, no on whatever policy it is from the gospel and why we believe what we do. And so I think rooting everything in the gospel and biblical truth and speaking as speaking the truth, not just from the Bible, but speaking the truth with Jesus's accent, you know, being able to speak the truth in love, being able to say this matters, you know, these, these laws that are infringing on our religious freedom rights, it matters because we are called to spread the gospel to a hurting world. That's why we need policies to protect religious freedom. It's not just that we want to have the freedom to do whatever we want to do. No, it's really about being able to continue to spread the gospel to our nation and our world. So I think we have to be able to connect all of these pieces together. It can't just be a no or a yes on a policy without any reason and without the gospel to to really um, serve as the firm foundation. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, your perspective is really in alignment with what I see a lot regarding millennial motivation. And uh, for us, it's we want to know the why before we know the what or the how. We want to know why something is the way that it is or why you made that decision or why we should believe you. And I think the fact that millennials are so skeptical, uh, whether it's large corporations or large government telling us to do something, uh, I think that that's actually something we can use in our favor to cause them to question that established mindset, that mindset that maybe they've been taught from their you know, liberal university professor or from uh, their friends or their cohorts or even you know, nonprofits that they associate with, is really to apply that critical thinking approach to how do you actually process this new and different information. Because I, I worked actually in the California state legislature years ago when the transgender bathroom issue first came up and we were like, that's ridiculous. There's no way that's ever going to go anywhere. I mean, we laughed at it and now it's been all over the news. And so it's so interesting how quickly the world is really changing. But I want to hear from you um, about whether or not you believe that millennials are a lost generation, whether you think, how do we return them or even introduce them for the first time to these issues, whether it's um, something about, you know, marriage, about the unborn, even this whole bathroom issue. How do we reach a generation that seems to be lost on so many levels? Yeah, I think I think what you said is exactly right. I think as millennials, our generation tends to catch a lot of flack for being skeptical. Uh, but I do think that's a healthy thing. I think it's good to to question and to challenge and to ask the why, and I think it's for that reason actually that uh, we're not we're not the last generation. I just think that 
um, as we advocate on policy or as we advocate for certain candidates even, or um, just as we live our lives in general, we as, as believers, I believe we are called to be able to explain the why, be able to have an answer and be able to um, ground it in biblical truth and also speak the truth in love. I, I think that's how the millennial generation will be reached. And I think we're actually seeing that in the pro-life movement um, on both the beginning and the end of life on the abortion issue. Um, I think there are, you know, they're saying that this generation, the up and coming generation is more pro-life than the previous generation. And I think that's because of the hard work of um, so many pro-life groups, so many advocacy groups like ours, really trying to explain why the beginning of life matters and that show using scientific evidence with the new technology and just being able to explain that from a biblical perspective, why life matters and that it really does begin um, at fertilization and that we can protect that life we are called to as believers. And then at the end of life, um, being able to step up and say, no, every Every person in our in our country, in our world, is worth fighting for. Their life matters. They are unique. God has made them in, the, in his image, and we need to protect them. You know, assisted suicide, euthanasia, all of those things, those are the answer. We can do better in caring for the elderly and the sick than, uh, and the disabled than saying, here, take this pill and it'll all go away. No, they deserve more than that. Um, and so I think it's because of our our hard work uh, across the board and being able to explain on the life issue um, why it matters and from a biblical perspective that we've seen so much progress. And I think we really will on other issues as well. I think that's really, really well put. And I appreciate and I share your optimism for our generation that we are indeed not a lost generation by any means. We're a generation that I believe is really ripe to be tapped with truth. I think we're in a seeking season of our lives. We're looking for truth and we're tired of being lied to. We're tired of propaganda and we just want to know what's really out there. And I think it's a huge opportunity that we all have, not only as Christians, but also to, uh, as defenders of truth, to be able to, to share that. So the last question that I ask all of our guests here, it's kind of silly and ridiculous, but is my absolute favorite. So um, my question for you is this. So Autumn, if the 12-year-old version of you were to meet you right now and see what you're doing and the impact that you're making, what would you think about what you do? <laughs> That's a fun question. Um, the 12-year-old version of me would be totally incredulous and probably wouldn't believe the now 30-year-old version, 30 version of me. Um, as, as a 12-year-old, I was extremely shy, quiet, um, super nervous around people, would never picture myself talking in front of people, certainly not um, advocating for policies or candidates at the federal and state levels. Um, so I would think that the 30-year-old version of myself was crazy. <laughs> well, that's hilarious, actually, because um, based off of your media interviews and just the experience that you've done, uh, you're very outgoing, uh, very well-spoken. And so it's funny to see uh, how much we do change, um, usually for the better as as we get older. But um, Autumn, thank you so much for being on our show. I just want to recognize you for uh, the good fight that you uh, and everyone over at your team is is doing for the impact that you're making and for your 
your optimism that our generation really does have great days in, in front of us and that we're not a lost generation at all. So I just want to thank you, Autumn, Leva. Thank you so much for being a part of our show. And we look forward to hearing great things from you soon. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.